Hey, Thrivecast Nation, this is Clay Frost coming at you with another great episode. I've been pumped for this one. Uh, this is Tom Forster. He is the USA Gymnastics Women's Team uh, High Performance Director. I probably said that in the wrong order, but that's basically what it is. Am I you right, Tom? It. I got it. Okay. Um, it was a mouthful. I knew I'd, I'd struggle with it, but how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to hear. Um, as always, we'll start it, start off with the same question I start off with any guest is what is thriving to you? What does it mean? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is thriving? Well, when you say the word thrive, to me, two things jump out. Um, one, the word joy and the other um, contentment. And I, I just don't see how you can thrive in your life, in sport, in, in your accomplishments and what you do without feeling joy about what you're doing and experiencing. And then there's gonna be times when, when things aren't being as successful as you might want to be, but you're still thriving if you feel peace and contentment with your efforts. Um, but thriving really to me has to go beyond just surviving, that you're really, you're excelling, that you're succeeding. And it doesn't always mean in wins. It can be a lot of different things. You read my mind. I was about to say, so can you thrive if you're not winning? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's go opposite. So that is thriving. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that definition, joy and contentment, uh, continuing to, to progress. What's the opposite? Well, even if you're being successful, but you don't have joy, you actually have sadness with it. Um, and you feel discontent, then that would be the opposite of thriving, even if you're winning. I like that. Thrive, so, so for the listeners, um, it sounds like what you're saying is even if you're winning, that doesn't mean you are thriving. No, it does not. Could you give us any examples, maybe experiences or just stories you've read that kind of describe that? Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, and this is a simple one. It's no, no famous person or anything, but we had an athlete in our gymnastics program that, um, won the state championship at her level and she was incredibly good um, and then quit. And, and, and we were confused by that because she had the ability to go much further than where she was. And under more questions, she was really doing it because her parents wanted her to do it. She didn't really enjoy it. And so even though she was super successful and in our opinion had tremendous potential she didn't want to do it anymore. And she went on, by the way, to do another sport and became a professional. So I don't want to give it away as to who it was, but sure, sure. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So someone who has the ability to thrive, it's just a matter of what environment they choose to, so they can have joy. Yes. Yes. Awesome. And she wasn't having joy doing gymnastics for whatever reasons, even though she was amazing at it. Yeah. Awesome. You told us, well, you told me beforehand a story about thriving, um, about a situation when you're 16 years old, you broke your leg, there's a hole, and I'm so excited for the listeners to hear this story. Can you hash it out again and, and tell us what happened when you're 16 years old? Sure. I, um, I, I would start gymnastics pretty late as far as today's standards, and um, I was 10 years old, and I was just naturally good at it. Um, smaller guy and fairly mm -hmm. fast and flexible. And so it was a sport that I just, I fell in love with immediately and just, um, it, it was great. And, uh, 
but when I, when I was 14 anyway, I ended up telling my parents that um, I, I, I asked them to please not make, make me go to church anymore because I didn't, didn't believe in God and I, I didn't really want to go to church. And uh, my dad told me something. He said, well, I believe there comes a point in every person's life when they'll seek something greater than themselves. And at, you know, at 14, I was like, I don't mm. even know what that means, whatever. <laughs> um, but, you, you, old, you old crazy man, like, whatever yeah. that means. And it wasn't long after that, I started pulling this muscle in my hip and uh, we would ice it and it would get better. But anyway, two years later, I fell in my backyard, broke my hip. And the x-ray revealed I had a massive tumor that was eating my pelvis uh, away. And um, my father was in the Air Force. So we went to an, uh, a med an Air Force hospital and they were kind of understaffed and, and under-equipped. And to my luck, they didn't have my blood type to do the surgery, but they literally wanted to take my leg off. And so they decided to send me home for the weekend. And then my parents took me up to Denver to an army hospital. This is at the end of the Vietnam War. So there was a lot of orthopedic work being done. And uh, the doctors up in Denver at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital said, mm, not so fast, let's, let's find out. Is it cancerous? And they discovered after a week long battery of tests that it wasn't, it was a, an aneurysm bone cyst that was eating the pelvis away, but it was not cancerous. It wasn't spreading to other parts of my body, but it was eating the mm -hmm. bone. Yeah. They had to get it out. And so they decided because I was young and in good shape, they thought, well, let's, let's try something new. And they took out this tumor and put in a, uh, they made me a hip from bones from cadavers to, to mold a new hip. And then my body had to accept it and grow over it. Just before that though, I, I, you know, I was getting depressed. I was 16. It was a, a huge, huge hospital floor full of beds, no rooms. So it smelled and it was noisy and, and uh, it, it was a miserable experience. I was getting very depressed. And this guy in the bed across from me was always fairly cheerful and reading this book. And out of anger one day, I asked him, why are you always reading that book? And so he wheeled himself over in his wheelchair and shared with me about a relationship with Jesus as opposed to just going to church on Sundays, kind of a religious thing. And I didn't say anything to him. I just listened. And, uh, but late, late, late that night, I decided, oh, I think my dad's right. I think, I don't think the doctors can help me. My parents can't help me. I can't help me. I've reached that point where I need something greater than myself. So I gave my life to, to Jesus, not knowing anything what that meant. <laughs> I had no clue. But immediately, the next day I woke up with this attitude of, I'm gonna be okay. I, I just truly believed I'm gonna be okay. And I'm gonna walk out of the hospital. And I ended up mm, there a month and I, I walked out of the hospital in crutches in a body cast, but um, I had miraculous healing and there. I was told I would never do gymnastics again, but I did even later, mm, about nine months later, I was in the state championship on one event. Um, but you know, I would do my routines and then jump, stop and just get down. So I didn't tumble, I didn't vault. But a year later, I, I, I won the state championship and got a scholarship to Penn State to do gymnastics. And, and uh, so, I mean, it, was, it turned out to be a really, it was a horrible, scary thing for our entire family, but it, it turned out to be an amazingly positive story. You, you mentioned as well, the way that you performed after that you felt like you didn't have much pressure. You tell us what happened in the recovery return to gymnastics. 
What was that like? Well, keep in mind, this is 1975. So, so um, physical therapy was not really <laughs> big. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Air Force, uh, you know, they weren't big on spending money on that. So I, the recovery was really on my own to, to figure that piece out. And I, um, you know, I don't remember exactly what I did, but it basically I just started life again. <laughs> and, um, you know, my, my legs came back and I did fine, but I was so grateful that I had two legs knowing it, it, I was dangerously close to having one leg uh, for the rest of my life. And so the fact that I could walk uh, to this day gives me great joy. And so I just didn't have the same kind of stress going into competitions that my friends did, you know, where they would have all these expectations and um, you know, all of that was really released. I released all that. I just, I, I never went into a meet ever nervous. I was always, I just felt joy to be able to go do what I practiced. Now I've, I've been to meets where I didn't feel as prepared and I kind of mm-hmm. knew oh, I'm probably not going to hit this pommel horse routine because I didn't hit very many in practice, but I never went in nervous because whether I won or I didn't win, that, that became secondary. It really did. I love that. Follow-up question here. Uh, it's an obvious answer, but I'm curious if you can help us guide some kind of blueprint or something for the listener to kind of extract from your story. Do you have to lose your leg to go into competition or almost lose your leg to go into competition grateful? Or what would it take to be able to make that mind shift, mindset shift, or that paradigm shift so that you can always perform grateful? Well, I would hope you do not have to almost lose your leg to have a spirit of gratitude. You know, I, yeah. I would hope. And, um, uh, you know, I know our daughter did gymnastics and um, it was important for us to make her feel going into these competitions, n- no expectations from us other than her enjoying what she was doing um, and, and just to be grateful that she can do a sport um, because not everybody can. I mean, you know, not everybody gets to, uh, sometimes for financial reasons, sometimes for whatever reasons. And so, yeah, you can absolutely have gratitude without having any catastrophe almost happen to you. Uh, But it is a mindset that you have to not place winning or the goal above other things that we take for granted, that you might be taking for granted. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's absolutely possible. So it's, it's a matter of what do you prioritize in your life? And if winning is everything, then you're, you're adding additional stress to your life that you don't necessarily have to do. Should you strive to win? I think so, you know, to do your best. Uh, and if you have the possibility to win, I mean, who strives to be second? I don't know, maybe, but um, maybe if you- no one strives to fail. No one wants to fail. Um, so having the ability to, to do a sport is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And we've had some family members, even at our gym, whose, whose brother or sister had either Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, who couldn't do sport. And I noticed yeah. they, they absolutely grasped the attitude of, of gratitude. You know, they, they got it. Um, but other families who had you know, none of those situations, they they got gratitude too. They they understood that um, you know it's it's a neat opportunity to to do sport, and uh, they took full advantage of it. I love that. That's awesome. So 
if we put these into a list of priorities, we're going to try to we'll troubleshoot this. This doesn't have to be your forever answer. So don't, don't worry about it. But if we got number one, we can be worried about joy and enjoyment, having fun, and then getting better, improving, and then wins. Would you say that's pretty accurate? Would you add anything else to the list in terms of what we should prioritize as parents or as athletes? Joy, improving, and then wins. It seems a little simple. It sounds right. I'm not it, against it. It feels right. If we're missing anything, because, um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody really wants to do things that they're not having joy doing, even if you're mm -hmm. good at it, it's not fun. So to have, uh, to experience both is super important. Um, striving to improve, I think, is noble you know it's what we should be probably doing um yeah i mean it sounds right to me clay where would you add health or like a injury free the body i don't i, I want to say bodily health i don't know if that's if that makes much sense or would you well, add that yeah so i mean um is it healthy for you to continue doing what you're doing yeah that's got to be on the list for sure yeah um, and that's probably got to be first when you think about it. Should you be doing this? Should you be, you know, I mean, you have to really think about that. But a lot of times, as you know, there's athletes. Uh, well, let me back up and I'll tell you um, what, what, one of our athletes who's now at UCLA, her father was in the Olympics and she was experiencing some in another sport he was, but um, she was experiencing a fair amount of injuries while she was, you know, in that fast growth period, 14, 15 years of age, 16 years of age. Yeah. And um, so she was always seemed to be recovering from something. And I, and I asked her, how are you doing? You know, are you staying motivated? Are you doing okay? And she said, yeah. She goes, you know, my dad, he told me there's, I'm always going to have three injuries. And I'm like, what? She said, yeah, it's going to be the one that I recovered from the one I'm working on and the one I currently have. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, that's probably the life of an athlete. <laughs> Sounds about really right. Push. Yeah, 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 that's about it. So to think you can go through this, you know, sport or life injury-free is, is naive. I mean, especially for the athletes that are really pushing for excellence. Um, you know, it, you're going to have some strain and stress on your body and it's going to happen, uh, even for the best of them. Tiger Woods, Simone Boz, doesn't matter how good you are, they all deal with it. And so now at some point you have to decide when's enough is enough, but... The ones who push through it, typically it's because they are having joy. You know, this is how they feel a lot of contentment and they feel successful mm -hmm. doing it. And it, it drives them, it motivates them. It's their, it gives them great purpose. And so they will continue to push. Um, yeah, so the key is pushing in the right way. And that's why having good physical therapists, having a mental trainer, all that's really important to be able to manage that, that piece of sport. Yeah, I like that. I want to transition to, to another question and experience that you've had. You were kind of tossed into your current role uh, in 2018. Um, not really as like something you were aiming for. It's always been something that was just, you're just running your own gym and then it was offered to you. Tell us about that experience. Well, it's, it's um, the high performance director position is not something I ever envisioned uh, being part of my professional resume ever. Uh, 
Uh, I've been on the national staff helping the uneven bars at the development camp for about eight years or 10 years and, and loved it. Just mm-hmm. really loved it. In that case, you're really coaching coaches. You're really like a consultant helping them. And um, I, tr- I truly enjoyed it and running my own gymnastics club. Um, and, and I started fly fishing. So I was really enjoying that. And then uh, through a series of, you know, just strange things that happened with uh, probably the, the Larry Nassar debacle kind of spearheaded most of the change that was going on. And a lot of people in leadership needed to go because of that. And so they were looking for new leadership and other leaders, um, you know, had to, you know, decided to bow out for whatever reasons, because um, it's it's in, it's incredibly difficult. And I I thought, oh, I'm done. You know, I, I can just start fly fishing now and walk away. I've, it was really fun, and and I was okay with that. Yeah. And then I got asked uh, to apply for the position, and um, I'm not trying to be too humble, but I really think I was like like the last man standing kind of thing. Um, but, you know, my wife is the one who said, well, the, the role really, it's not a coaching role, it's a leadership role. You know, it's not that, because all these athletes have great personal coaches and mm-hmm. the personal coaches are doing the work every day, all week long. And they come to the national team camp maybe six times a year. And so it isn't about coaching those athletes. That's not the role. The role is to lead the coaches and, and lead the program and try to keep people on task and motivated to achieve the, the goals that we had. So um, anyway, I, I decided to apply and shockingly, honestly, they gave it to me. I, I was surprised. And um, uh, so, before you before you keep going, do you feel like you did a good interview or do you walk out of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Was no, it- I thought the interview was horrible. You thought it was horrible. Yeah, I thought it was bad. I at, at the time it was uh, Carrie Perry was the uh, CEO of the time, and she didn't have any gymnastics experience. Um, she was quite good in the interview process. She was very professional, and you could tell she's really good at this this kind of thing and interviewing people for mm-hmm. positions. And she she was quite good. We just weren't. I didn't feel we weren't on the same page because she didn't understand our sport really. And at the time, there was so much. Uh, focus on the survivors from Larry Nassar and the, 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 the drastic need for change to athletes to have a voice, which is true. Um, but, but, you know, the pendulum can swing too far one way and, and I'm more of a balanced kind of a person. So I'm sure. trying to present a balanced approach to this and she's swinging the pendulum really, really far one way. So we were not on the same page. So when she asked me to come in for a second interview, I thought that interview went far worse, <laughs> went even worse. And I just, I, I left and I remember telling my wife, I'm like, yeah, I, I did not get this job. I did not, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, I'll start fly fishing. No, no big deal. Yeah. And, plan B, um, fly fishing, that's a good plan B right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, a couple of days later, she called and said, congratulations, you got the job. And, and Clay, I literally did say, I said, are you sure? <laughs> and she said, yeah. I said, were you in the same interview that I was in? Because I don't <laughs> think they went very well. And she said, no, I thought it was great. I was like, okay. Uh, th- this is Tom. You know, you're talking to Tom, right? <laughs> like, yeah, until, like, I know. How- I like, wow, that, that's awesome. I just didn't think we were on the same page at all. 
but um, yeah, so I was, I was surprised at that. Um, but I think the thing you were referring to was at the yeah. 2018 World Championships. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'd so love that, to hear it. Yeah, that was um, kind of a turning point for me um, in this role because uh, clearly never being in this position before, never even thinking about this. I've been to three world championships before as a coach. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm familiar with what the coaches and the athletes are going through. Um, um, you know, that part I knew, but I never paid attention to what the administrators were doing, what the coach, you know, I just never paid attention. That wasn't my job. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And um, so I was basically, it was kind of fake it till you make it kind of a thing. And I'm, I'm doing my best, but the athletes on the team that, that year was Simone Biles, um, Morgan Hurd, Kara Aker, Riley McCusker, Grace McCallum, and Reagan um, Smith, where she would end up being the alternate. Great, great group of athletes and experienced coaches. So mm -hmm. I felt incredibly lucky <laughs> that, you know, the team is so good and the coaches are so experienced that, um, you know, they're, it's all gonna be, be fine. And the team did win by a landslide. Um, but the thing that, that was the turning point for me is um, when I set the lineup, uh, I didn't ask, I, I didn't know, so I, I didn't ask enough opinions. I just kind of gave them, this is what I want to do and turned it in and, and, um, and, it, and it turned out well, but Riley McCusker fell in the team qualification phase, which would take her out of the beam finals. She wouldn't be able to make it obviously with a fall. And, but the team still was in first place going into the team final. And you can change up the lineup going into the team final. You can change, you can put in other people and switch it around. <clears throat> and I decided not to change, to keep her in the role for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to uh, emphasize my belief in that I, I truly believe that athletes under pressure perform their average routine. Sometimes they perform the best routine of their life. And, but typically you get their, their average. And so the key is having a group of athletes whose average routine is world-class and can win. And luckily mm -hmm. the team was that good. And now Riley's training was that kind of training. She very rarely missed ever in all of the practices every day. And even after the fall, the very next day, she's hitting a routine. So I decided I'm, I'm not gonna change. And in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, Marta would not have done that. And, and all the coaches told me that. They said, no, she would be out. You, you, you've lost confidence. And, and I believed in the law of averages. So I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm keeping her in. And, and I wanted to show the athletes and the coaches and the gymnastics community, things are different, you know, and, and we're gonna stick with the athletes. We're gonna do, we're gonna give as much objective information as possible to make our decisions. And that's how it's gonna be. Well, at least with me in charge. And, and she hit, not only did she hit by the way, I just looked this up the other day that she had the highest execution on score on balance beam in the entire competition. So that's, I knew that's the kind of athlete that she is. And I really, the law of averages is she's not gonna fall twice. And, um, and she did, so it was, it was, it turned out well, and that was a turning point for me as just having confidence and believing in what I believe is right. And hopefully I think it helped the, the coaches and the gymnastics community, you know, to feel like um, 
you know, the athletes aren't going to be punished, punished for just a mistake. That was the hope. So. I love that. I love that so much. The idea that you punish athletes for mistakes only puts them on eggshells. It makes them so yeah. worried to make mistakes. Um, yeah. Question I have, it was Riley, right? She's the one that fell? Yeah. Yes. What do you think it did for her confidence that you still picked her? Well, I think she was shocked. I think, I mean, I talked to her and her coach and, and, and she was grateful, you know, and I really believe that she went in to uh, the beam, you know, team final with gratitude that she got another chance. And I told her, you know, take advantage of it. Just do what you do. And, and I even, I remember telling her, you don't need to do your best routine ever. Just do what you do. That's all you got to do. Just go do that. And that's what she did. I love it. But um, yeah, it was, it was a great, great athletic moment for me anyway. I don't know about anybody else, but for me, it was great. Yeah. It really solidifies the, the, the belief you have moving forward. Um, last question. I told you my, my son's going to come yelling at me. Um, for all of those listening, I have a son just outside the door screaming at me. I don't know if you can hear. Um, but I'm last question. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the... Last question I have for you. I, I try to prepare you a little bit. Hopefully I'm still catching a little bit on the spot because I love a really authentic answer here. I want you to pick an audience and then deliver a message to that audience of what it takes to deliberately design a life where they can thrive in any situation. You can pick 7 billion people in the world. You can pick just the team, your club. You can pick your family, whatever audience you pick, deliver. What audience would I give the message to thrive? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to pick a family. I'm going to okay. pick families. And, and I say that because, you know, in March, when, when everything shut down and everybody had to be quarantined, um, a lot of families had to just spend a tremendous amount of time together. And I think some families really found themselves. Uh, and it was a great thing. And I'd heard, you know, from the news that, that the opposite was also happening, right? It was just families, um, husbands, wives, children, parents, you know, that, that were really struggling spending that much time together. And I know in our personal family, um, it was good for us. Uh, but we have a philosophy for thriving as a family to not only love, but to like one another. And uh, our philosophy is love is an obligation that you have among, you know, your, your family, right? You, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, you have to love one another, right? But like, like is always a choice. And you can love someone and not like them. But if you can do both, then you really have a thriving family. If you have a family that not only loves one another, but they actually like one each other, then you're thriving. And one of the keys to getting that, that point is being really careful what you say to one another that your words matter and just because you think it and their family they just have to love you doesn't mean you need to say it uh, so we also have a, a phrase that, that we learn from another family that if it isn't if it has to meet whatever you're going to say has to meet two of the three criteria is it kind is it true is it necessary and if whatever you're going to say doesn't meet at least two of those criteria, then don't say it, even though they're family, even though they're family. Well, they got to love me. Yeah, but you shouldn't say it if it's hurtful. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? So that's how we thrive as a family. I love it. Thrivecast Nation, this is Tom. Thanks so much for being on the show.
Loved having you. Hey, thanks so much for asking me. I really appreciate it. No problem. We'll see you all in the next episode.